0: Hello, everybody. Chevere Min School is back. It's been a minute since the last episode because I took a little bit of a break for the holidays. I was very lucky to be able to go back home to Peru. So I've been there for the past month, just spending some time with my family and eating all the yummy food that I don't get to eat when I'm not home. (laughs) Um, But now I'm back in New York City and I'm really excited to start off 2021 with more Chevere Min School. Thank you to everyone who's listened in the past. And if you're listening now, thank you so much. Um, There's a lot of really cool things coming up this year, so I really appreciate it and just stay tuned. Um, And now to start this year with more episodes and more amazing brands and people that I admire, I'm really excited to feature Janelle Abbott, founder of JRed. This is a brand that I first heard of through Cafe For God, which is a space in New York City that carries a lot of really unique and interesting designers. Um, And Janelle's work really stood out to me for its commitment to zero waste. You might have come across zero waste before, but I can assure you that you haven't seen anything like Janelle's work. (laughs) After speaking with her, I'm even more in awe of her work ethic and the passion that she puts behind everything that she creates. So I'm really thankful to have been able to chat with her and share everything in this episode. We'll talk a little bit more about how she got involved with sustainability at a really young age, um, and then also zero waste, obviously, Um, why this is so important, especially in the fashion industry, what she's doing with her brand, and we'll also talk a little bit about other projects of hers that are equally as inspiring. So without further ado, let's get started, and I hope you learned something new from this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, hi, hi, Danielle. I'm so happy this worked out.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to have you at on Chavellin School.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too.
0: So you're based in LA, right? We have a little bit of a time difference.
1: Oh no, I'm in Seattle.
0: Oh no way. I, yeah. You know what? I just assumed because I used to live in LA, so every time someone just says PST, I'm, in my mind immediately goes to LA. Oh, <laughs> it's probably not good. <laughs> Anyway, let's just get right into it. I would love to hear more about you and like what you were doing before starting your brand, kind of like leading up to that so that then we can get into j <laughs> Yeah,
1: a great question. Um, I kind of grew up in the fashion industry. My parents owned a clothing manufacturing company when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And since my brother and I were homeschooled at the time, we hung out at the warehouse Quite a bit um, because mm-hmm. it was the 90s and at that point there still <laughs> was uh, quite a bit of American manufacturing happening in fashion and that definitely changed in the early 2000s um, but Seattle at the time had a pretty vibrant fashion industry here so I got to see the behind the scenes how clothing is designed and produced and I never really got into seeing what happens on the other end, as far as fashion shows or more of the designer market of clothing. Mm-hmm. For me, clothing was always this very practical thing. It just needs to right. exist so people aren't naked in public. Like that's the whole <laughs> point, you know. So that you're warm in the winter. Um, quite a bit of agency from a young age to choose the clothes I wanted to wear, and even cut up the clothes that I owned and sew them back together in different ways. And so I was taught cool. how to sew at a really young age, probably seven years old. And I think by like nine, um, they were letting me use industrial machines, which looking back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's really sketchy. Um, they trusted I you a lot. <laughs> they did. Well, the sample sewer, Connie, was like the mother hen. Yeah, it really instilled in me. A sense of joy in making clothing, and also the versatility of clothing. In that, yeah, garments are just textiles, and if you take apart all the seams, you really can make anything out of anything. Um, yeah, so that's so that's, cool. Yeah, what inspired me to pursue fashion design when I got into college, and it was there that I learned about um, the zero waste design methodology, which has become yeah. Pretty, pretty much the foundation of how I approach design.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely want to hear more about that because I feel like a lot of people including myself aren't super familiar with the fact that there's a a whole different way of making zero waste clothes like even with the patterns.
1: Yeah and it's funny because um, just hearing zero waste it, it can be kind of a misnomer. It's like oh you only make clothing for size zero like oh <laughs> <I've> had... <laughs> Do people actually sometimes think that yeah yeah I've that's funny that so it's about not producing waste or garbage right in conjunction with producing clothing yeah because traditionally um, the fashion industry weights about 15 percent of all material involved in producing clothing and that's because every pattern piece contains both positive and negative shapes And Mm -hmm. when you're making a garment, you only want those positive shapes. So the opposite of a curved neckline ends up getting thrown away unless you're being really specific about how you lay your patterns out, which that's called making a marker, the way that patterns relate to one another when you're putting them on the fabric. And so Mm -hmm. with zero waste, it's in a way hearkening back to ancient traditions when you think about how something like a kimono or a keton or even a toga is constructed, you really utilize every square inch of the available fabric and make, in those cases, as few cuts as possible. But with zero waste design, what you're doing is creating a giant puzzle. And so when you deconstruct the puzzle, you can reassemble it into a garment. So in theory, with my clothing, if you took any given piece apart You could put it back together again as a perfect square or rectangle of fabric. There's no garbage, no waste being created. Textile waste is a huge issue. Over contemplate the aesthetic of my piece prior to the process of creation. I believe with zero Mm -hmm. waste, you can allow the process to determine certain aspects of the aesthetic. And in that way, it is possible to end up with things that you otherwise could not have dreamed of, because right. at least in my design process, when I was in school, I found, I was always drawing the exact same drawings. Like I, I can only really <laughs> draw so many ideas, but when I actually get to be active in the process of making, um, I there's just so much more creativity available to me personally. So part of it is because of the simplicity of the action, like it seems really simple, to design a pattern in this way, but then you actually start to do the process and it's like, ah, this is a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's so many I numbers bet. and math involved and like math was never my strong suit. So it's really pushed my capacity personally.
0: Yeah, but I feel like that's so, it makes all the difference. Like it, it must be so much more rewarding to produce a zero waste garment, even though it's 10 times harder, but that also makes, makes sense as to why other More commercial brands, I guess, don't do that, which is unfortunate, but (laughs) I guess it's the reality right now. Yeah,
1: right now. I think the tides will change, and I think it'll become ever more apparent why this is um, an aspect of design that needs to be more widely implemented in the future. It's just going to take a period of transition, and part of that will be for the the consumer to maybe be more open to different ideas about cut and fit of clothing.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. I I kind of skipped through cuz I got super interested in that whole like pattern zero waste, mm-hmm. but you were saying that you basically grew up in Seattle and then you went to um you said Parsons mm-hmm. for school, right? Yes. And so is that like right after that then did you start your own brand which is J-Rat or did you do something else before?
1: Uh, yeah, I, i've I've taken it's taken me some time to get to where I am right now. Right after school, I actually went to Finland for three months to sew white t-shirts at a museum for an installation. Oh my gosh. that one of my professors put <laughs> together. so, That was a really unique experience um, because I was kind of playing the role of the factory worker. And the T-shirts were being sold for $5, yet people came into the museum and they could see me personally making the garments. And then go into the gift shop and be like, why is this only $5? And the whole idea was like, exactly, why is it only $5? Every garment that exists was made by hand, like human hands have to be behind a sewing machine, no matter no matter where it is in the world. And yeah, it's such a chronic mm-hmm. issue that factory um, workers and garment workers are historically underpaid. That presentation was really advocating for the fact that the consumer is in the... Right, in the, the, we have a say. Yeah, like the consumer <laughs> does have a say about how the workers are treated and, and what we should put up with as as humanity you know like right it, that's
0: such a cool concept that they did it as like an art installation almost
1: yeah so after that i came back to seattle and i had a lot of stress about paying off my student loans so i ended up as a tour guide for this underground part of seattle and i did that for a couple of years and so cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah if you ever come i work for a company called Beneath the Street yeah and I also started working for an artist weaving chairs and I I worked on his art as well in his studio um and so that's something I still kind of casually do is weave cane and wicker furniture <laughs> which oh my gosh <laughs> is, is, is you know it's I feel like it's fashion adjacent like weaving is is a is yeah. a technique employed in both but um I I would casually those first few years after school make a collection here and there. I hadn't developed the name J-Rat yet. I was just going by Janelle Abbott. Um, but it was always mm-hmm. one-of-a-kind pieces made through the zero-waste methodology, sometimes mixing in um, pre-manufactured clothing that I had thrifted or salvaged. And I just sell it at a local shop here in Seattle. Um, it took, Very cool. It took me a while to get a little more professional, I guess, about the way I was approaching making clothing um, because I don't have a smartphone, so I didn't really know what was happening on social media like Instagram. And I still don't have a smartphone. I use an iPad, but I didn't start to invest in my work as a brand until I got on Instagram and uh, mm-hmm. started to see how the landscape of selling one-of-a-kind clothing was developing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been, I think, like, two years that I've been a little more serious about the work that I'm doing.
0: I feel like that makes sense just because when you're doing something for like that's your own, it's like your own baby. Like, you want to be very careful of, like, what you're putting out there because it's – I guess it's, like, I don't know. Even for me, when I was doing this podcast, I was, like, a little intimidated by the idea of putting something out there that was just mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I can't even imagine, like, you doing – like your brand is like such a huge project that you're putting out there, but I'm so glad you did because it's amazing.
1: <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, um, can you tell us where the name comes from? Because I really love the name and the logo. The little I wish people could see this, but they'll have to just check out your Instagram <laughs> to, to see what I'm talking about. But it's it's amazing.
1: Thank you. Um, again, it connects to my childhood I used to write a fictional newspaper called the J.R. Abbott Times because my middle name is Renee and I had a friend who lived like an hour away but it it was far enough that we didn't get to see each other very often and both our, our parents had small businesses so we both had fax machines and she also wrote a fictitious newspaper and so we would uh, fax them back and forth and
0: uh, That's so it cute. was
1: we would have like crafting tips and little stories about whatever was happening in our our families and our lives and I brought one of these to uh, school when I was in New York and one of my roommates suggested that I um, relaunch the newspaper and so in 2010 mm-hmm. I think I started typing it up and just posting it on the fridge in our apartment weekly and I kept up with it I wrote it weekly for like five years maybe more wow. than that yeah and then I and then I just started doing it monthly but the whole brand um the JRAB at times or what I called the J Rat, it, it was about being raw and unfiltered yeah so I never edited any of the content I just wrote it stream of consciousness screen grabbed it Amazing. from home, a word document and then like pulled it out so that it would get all pixelated and i'd post onto a <laughs> tumblr account that i just hacked all the coding out of and i would write really basic html code yeah and so yeah I, it comes up wow that's so impressive <laughs> it was really it was really lo-fi and it comes up sometimes i'll i'll mention to people like oh yeah i stopped writing it maybe a year ago and no one noticed that I stopped writing it, but a lot of people are like, oh, I used to love to read that. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Like, I didn't think anybody was reading this, but at least three people were reading it, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Um, That's amazing. So when I started to pivot and shift more on, um, shift more to focus on my work in fashion, it just felt very natural that J-Rat would become the brand name. And so, I drew this little rat logo, um, cause I feel myself, I am kind of a street rat. Like when I lived in New York, they throw away so much food in that city. And here in Seattle, we're very, we like to pride ourselves on being like very green, even though most Seattleites yeah. well, would be housebound if they didn't have their car. Like there's, there's, there's always hypocrisy involved in strong commitments, but, um, yeah. <laughs> One thing the city is committed to is composting. Every, every house has composting service. And so all the um, restaurants and grocery stores and everyone, they have to sort out their compost from their garbage. And you actually get fined if they find compostable goods in your garbage. No yeah, way. It's pretty serious. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So wow. I recently um, joined this group here in Seattle called Petal Relief. And we ride around with, uh, cause I ride a bike. I don't have a car. I just try to like.
0: My gosh. I'm like, you're such a model <laughs> of like what we all should be doing.
1: It's <laughs> so impressive. Sometimes I feel like a martyr though. Cause I'm like really tired and <laughs> like soaking wet. And, Aww. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to commit to, to living by your convictions, but that's something I felt really compelled to do. And it's why I make clothing in the way that I do and it's it's why I want to mm. offer alternatives to mass manufactured clothing to people because yeah. I at 15 learned um about the issue of human trafficking and modern day slavery yes and I do want to tell a lot about yeah, that yeah so serious oh but I was gonna say we ride to grocery stores and pick up food donations for the local food bank so it's been really cool because oh one week we hauled 1,400 pounds of food from the grocery store (gasps) to the food bank. Um, Yes, on bicycles.
0: Wow, that's so impressive.
1: Yeah, it's amazing to be a part of that community. Um, But yeah, I, at the time it was the early 2000s, there was an estimated 20 million people enslaved in the world. And I, oh my gosh. It, it's in all facets, of course. Like they're enslaved in factories and in, in labor, but there's also like sex trafficking and um, there's right. uh, things like debt bondage that classify as situations of slavery. Um, and I just mm-hmm. looked it up and there's an estimated 40 million people enslaved in the world today. And it's about 20 currently, currently ah. about 29 million are in or 24 million are in situations of forced labor um
0: in the fashion industry or just I think in general in, labor
1: uh, in general that's so scary it, is, it it is and and they're predominantly female too which is um, right just so so devastating um and and it sucks mm-hmm. in fashion because i i feel like Companies are willingly allowing their customers to become complicit in this exchange because a strong motivation for a company to employ slave labor is to keep the costs down. Because it is actually, it should be very costly to create clothing because of how oh a hundred percent right, like how many resources are involved. Like you just have to start all Mm -hmm. the way at the soil and growing whatever. Uh, fiber it is like cotton whatever yeah Yeah. cotton flax wool plastic uh, from polyesters and you take it on no it's
0: crazy I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I actually was talking about this with a friend the other day about like all the reasons why we shouldn't be supporting fast fashion and this is something that never comes up.
1: Yeah thank you and it's something I personally have known about for a long time and so I made a commitment not to purchase newly manufactured clothing when I was 15 and since then like I've had to make a couple concessions like when I needed a new pair of running shoes or um, like at charity events I've bought a t-shirt here and there to support like a nonprofit, but as much as I can, right. I almost exclusively buy secondhand used vintage or I just find clothing out in the world like in a free box um, or it's yeah. given to me by someone. But yeah, it's really important for me to try as much as possible to abstain from supporting the fashion industry as it functions today. Because um, there's been a report that came out recently that one in five garments contains slave produced cotton oh my gosh, right? it blows that my mind like one in five garments in our like each of our wardrobes contains cotton from slaves right. and that includes me because even though I'm not directly supporting these industries I am uh, at times gaining their product secondhand through thrift stores and someone mm-hmm. at some point had to directly send their money um, to whatever fast fashion brand it might be um, but the biggest issue, and, and this has come up this year, um, there's about 1.8 million Uyghurs, which is like a Turkish Muslim minority or a Turk Muslim minority in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 1.8 million Uyghurs are in forced labor camps. It, it really has always been like this, like the transatlantic slave mm-hmm. trade. Um, beginning in 1619, that was strongly fueled by the production of cotton in the American South. And cotton, mm-hmm. it, it was like the largest industry in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I was I was trying to do some some research because like I have done a lot of reading over the years, but I, I just haven't been great at retaining all of the facts. Um, but yeah. there was this huge growth um, from. The early 1700s to the late 1700s in America, we went from producing about 2,000 pounds of cotton annually to 350 million pounds of cotton annually. Yeah, by 1831. And that's in part because of uh, technological advances with things like the cotton gin, but it was also because of the rampant growth of enslaved Africans in the American South. There are about 2 million Africans enslaved by the 1850s. And if you think about Mm 1.8 million Uyghurs being enslaved in China today, those are relatively equal numbers. And in both situations, they're doing the same thing. They're reducing the cost of producing cotton for Mm -hmm. mainly the financial benefit of business owners and shareholders. (laughs) I just saw the CEO, the founder and owner of Zara his wealth oh. within this year i looked up his wealth in october and then i just looked it up again in december it went from 58 billion to 80 billion dollars it's, it's it's just crazy uh, it's i mean it's kind it's it's disgusting honestly like that's the only conclusion that i can come mm-hmm. to because ultimately the enslavement of these human beings is only for the financial benefit of those on top. And the only reason who don't know, no one needs that much money. No one needs that much money, Mm -hmm. but the way that they're getting away with it is those of us who are one step up from being enslaved because of things like the labor union movement of the early 20th century here in America We are benefiting from this situation because it maintains artificially low prices for clothing for us. And I mean, especially Mm -hmm. this year with the global pandemic and very little relief coming to people in America as opposed to in other countries, it is important for people to maintain access to inexpensive clothing because... You know, you're spending half your paycheck on rent and the other half on food and what you have left. Um, So, yeah, it's just a huge issue.
0: It's like a very sad Mm -hmm. cycle because it's so expensive for people to buy this like one of a kind sustainably made pieces, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because that's like the fair price. And because there's all these fast fashion brands that are offering something for you know an eighth of the price so for people that are struggling it's just it's just a really horrible situation to be in because it's like you're given no no chance to do better yeah you know
1: absolutely and that's really
0: unless you can make it yourself like I don't know it's like really right yeah
1: I mean yeah and then it's like do you have the time to become an expert at this thing that someone in a factory that you'll never know and never see they've been doing this for the past 12 years the past 30 years like they've dedicated their Mm -hmm. whole life to perfect the craft of creating clothing and and it like in their defense they are incredibly skilled at what they do like the clothing that's being manufactured today is of a quality I can only dream of achieving Um, but at the same time Mm -hmm. like myself as a maker of -of one-of-a-kind clothing I I do at times feel like I end up in a position of slavery because I I can't convince people well I can convince them that I deserve the price I ask but there's that disconnect of um, being incapable of receiving that that price that high the high cost that is mm-hmm. that is necessary in compensating the labor behind clothing because it always seems really simple when you see it see it hanging on a clothing rack but if you actually you know went yeah. to the factory and watch these people produce the things they do or came to my studio and watch me make my work yeah it right. takes hours and hours and it, it's hard labor mm-hmm. and it's precise work and it's also a, an accumulation of years of practice so i i don't know how to totally. solve that problem because it it really is a sticky space where you people should not be obligated to support slavery because they have no better option but how do you give people a better option at a price they can afford
0: yeah I was I was even reading about how um like thrift shopping and secondhand is getting like gentrified now and I saw that and I was like almost like even more you know devastated because I was like that was like the option for people who couldn't afford expensive like handmade pieces that are one of a kind but even with that now getting you know being trendy and prices rising even for those things it's like now what you know (laughs) it's a little bit of a help like hopeless situation (laughs) to be in yeah
1: it definitely does feel that way but yeah there's been this growth over the past couple years that as fast fashion has gotten cheaper thrift stores have gotten more expensive it's really really frustrating um how the mm-hmm. issues just keep shifting and it, it feels as though it's, it's just going yeah. to actually stay difficult for everyone involved aside from the owner of Zara who will just keep piling up money yeah,
0: <laughs> who's thriving three times before buying like anything because I'm like do I really need that that's been served mm-hmm. as an ad for me on Instagram because they overheard <laughs> a conversation about me needing a new pair of yeah you know yeah. running shorts you know it's like no I definitely don't need this and so now at least I'm like think like before I probably would have like the number of times that I've seen like ads for brands that are clearly just I mean now that you mentioned like the the like workers in China it makes so much sense because a lot of these brands are from there and they're advertising you know like five bikinis for two dollars and i'm like how like there's no way and people buy it because obviously you're like wow what a steal. and i i can say that i've never purchased from them because that was extremely sketchy to me but i can't even Im- you know I, I i can imagine people falling for it and that's just so scary but then talking to people like you and this other brands um gives me like a lot I, of-
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm so happy to hear that because i i do struggle with with a general sense of doom as well. Um, but I, I think yeah. keeping hope in perspective is really important. And I think turning negatives into positives can always be a really great way to cultivate hope in spite of challenging situations. And at least one thing that I have really mm-hmm. tried to do is like spin my limitations into creative opportunities. So limiting like That's the awesome. places that I can buy clothing and limiting the way by which I make clothing and even limiting the way that I get around town, like solely riding a bicycle. I think it mm-hmm. has allowed me opportunities to express my creativity in new ways and to reach into um, ideas through a different approach than kind of like the obvious or the most convenient Um because I I think convenience is really intoxicating and convenience. It's it's something that we are sold every day, all day. Um, But if, if you're able to just deny yourself that moment of convenience and keep in mind, like what the true cost behind it is like, yeah, if you can just like deny yourself Mm -hmm. that, that sort of like instant gratification of convenience, you, you have to get a lot more creative. And I, I think you're, it, it just opens up new ways to engage and, yeah, new ways to, to question and to play and and to just, I think, live life with more intention.
0: Like, we mm-hmm. can't afford to not be. Like, we can't just keep saying, like, well, like, if I change, but no one else changes, then it won't matter. Like, I, I don't think we have that luxury anymore. Like, we're at a point where everything matters and mm-hmm. everything should yeah, be intentional. definitely,
1: definitely. And I think in that you have to acknowledge that it is hard. And it might always be hard, mm-hmm. but just accepting that, accepting the difficulties. Yeah. Again, I think it just it it always opens up new opportunities for creative expression. And so, yeah, so cool. I'm, That's such know, a good way of looking at it. It's something I try. I can't say <laughs> that I'm always successful at it because doom, yeah. doom.
0: <laughs> I mean, you've created an amazing brand out of this mentality. Thank you. So yeah, there's something.
1: Yeah, I'm still working on <laughs> my new policy is that i i really only want to start a collection with garments that i'm not inspired by because there's so yeah there's wow. just so <laughs> much clothing that's been produced that people don't they don't want it like it doesn't fit it doesn't look good it's 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 not even out of style it just like never was in style but it exists you know, or those things that like <laughs> you bought because you got a corporate job at 24 yeah. and now like you're living life differently. So you have no use for this stupid polyester totally. blazer. Yeah, like I blazer. want those things because those are the real problems. Like the garments you can't even donate to the thrift store because it's like a burden for them to try and sell it. It's so awful. That's what I want to yeah. work wear. Um, yeah, which <laughs> is stuff that like wasn't all that inspiring, but it gave me the opportunity to uh, to get as creative as possible. So I painted things and I bleached them and I parted them all out and quilted them together and put ruffles in between everything. And that's how I created my most recent collection. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I was really happy with it and it was, it was hard. Like, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's
0: incredible, but the story yeah. behind it is even more. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And
1: it, it was, it was kind of refreshing because it's like, I, I, I just felt pushed beyond my normal comfort zone of starting with, you know, like cute vintage fabric or like some some like nice yeah. friendly garments. It's like, no, I need to start with things that I am just not friends with and do the work to figure out how yeah, like how are we <laughs> Challenge, going to yeah. form a relationship that is of value?
0: <laughs> I this is what I like about supporting like creators like yourself because there's a lot of thought put into what they're sharing and it's not just like i want to start a clothing brand mm-hmm. this is what i'm going to do boom you know it's like no like what like why am i starting this like what is it adding to the world and why are people why do why should people buy this so i think that adds a lot of value to to anyone who's looking to Thank buy you. from your brand I
1: appreciate that <laughs> I- Yeah, I think I probably fall a little short in being able to communicate what's happening like in my mind um, because it it feels very obvious and and I'm just, I'm not good at self-promotion. Like it's not really what I want to be doing. I just kind of like (laughs) want to make the things and have them go somewhere without much effort. But like, yeah, putting in that effort to articulate the thought and the intention behind the work and really try to sell that aspect. Um, I guess that's that's one thing I, I'm trying to work on. Is... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully
0: this will help because it definitely is something super important that a lot more people Thank should you. definitely know about. <laughs> I forgot to ask you about your wardrobe therapy.
1: Okay. Yes. About... Two years ago, I started a project called Wardrobe Therapy, where I go through a very extensive interview process with private clients to learn about how their relationship to clothing has changed over the years and kind of where it started from, like some um, family information Mm -hmm. about how their parents dress them and how they shop today and kind of what they're looking for, like if their wardrobe is missing anything in particular. And. We also talk a lot about specifics of like how yeah. they want clothing to associate to their body because everybody has they such specific them. ideas about how they want clothing to feel, like where it should be tight, where it should be loose, how things should be balanced. So mm-hmm. we go through this whole conversation and then um, we look through their wardrobes and find things that they really love, but they don't wear, but they they can't get rid of it for one reason or another. And sometimes it's about, you know, it's like a sentimental garment <laughs> um, that you just Hold on to.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I feel like my mom (laughs) would relate to this problem. Every time I come home, I'm so here. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And other times it's not even about sentiment. It's just like, I love the print, the pattern, whatever. But for some reason, I just don't wear this garment. So we talk about the pros and cons of the Mm -hmm. garment. And then um, as much as I can, I try with the client to come up with a plan about how to reconstruct their clothing into new pieces that they can wear once again. And so sometimes it's about so cool mashing a bunch of garments together to turn like three tops into a jumpsuit. And other times it's just about editing one dress to become something else like a pair of pants or yeah, it's very a process that's very dependent on the client's needs and their aesthetic. So I don't push on to the client, what i think they should be wearing it's not like that old tlc show what not to wear where everybody walks away with a nice blazer and a pair of wide leg slacks like that's i don't think that's what yeah oh my god (laughs) intervention is about it's more about like who are you as an individual what are you trying to accomplish with your clothing and that can be both aesthetic but it's also about functionality and then how can we make these things work better Mm -hmm. for you and retain the things you really love and then find a way to deconstruct and recontextualize the things that you don't love so much.
0: So cool. What a fun project because I mean, I even love the name because it's not technically therapy, but I feel like it would almost be therapeutic to go through all this old clothes and like remember like what they mean or what the moments that you we're going through when you bought them, or I don't know. I feel like it could definitely, yeah. And a I always tell my clients <laughs> that,
1: like, I am not a trained therapist, but the aspect of therapy is just about holding space for the client to have their own experience and not passing judgment and not trying to impose anything, but just like be present so that they can find whatever mm-hmm. it is through the process that they're looking for or that they're able to discover. Um, so, yeah, it's been. It's it's been great. Um, so I, I feel really thankful that people have responded to the idea and they want to be involved. I'm excited to continue with wardrobe therapy and I feel like with every client I'm 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 just gaining new skills and new knowledge and, and better capacity to to manipulate my my work to fit specific people and that's that's really rewarding because I do have a vision mm-hmm. and I have Some pretty strong opinions about aesthetics, but I don't think that really matters in the context of other people. Like if it's just work I make for me, then like you can kind of take it or leave it. But in order to make work for other clients, like I'm more than willing to set aside my point of view. Yeah. My personality and and really affirm who they are and how they want to dress. Because I think ultimately... Right. Every Everybody's pretty that's much so correct nice. about how they should be dressing so long as they're able to look at themselves and answer the questions of what and why, as opposed to looking towards trends or looking mm-hmm. towards peers. And you go through those phases like that definitely happens. There are times when that's all you have is to look outside yourself to find out how to dress. But I just hope that everyone comes to a point where they can really evaluate what is it that I want? What is it that I need? what is most appropriate in my life and then find a way to uh, curate their clothing in order to address those specificities and not not broad generalizations not public demand yeah that's amazing i do try to juggle like several different lives simultaneously um but i Mm -hmm. will get you it can (laughs) Yeah, Which can be really tough, can. so. But that's kind of. So that's, that's been really impressive. Been doing for the past yeah. seven years, like tour guide, chair weaver, yoga instructor, designer, artist, like, just for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So
0: many hats. <laughs> I kind of love it though. I feel like, why, like, when else, you know, when exactly. else are we going to be able to do all and, these things you know, at just once?
1: Try it out, and some things it's like, yeah, I'm ready to move on from that. Like, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot, and ultimately, mm-hmm. you're just always learning like what you don't want and what you don't need. And so, having those experiences can be really valid, though difficult. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm just learning about how I want J-Rat to develop in the future. And there's, there's a lot of questions I still need to answer, but being intentional and, and being, being you know, holding myself responsible for how I make my work and why, like, that's always going to be really mm-hmm. important for me.
0: Yeah, that's such a, like, beautiful mission to follow with anything that you create and do. And I think that translates, obviously, in your work. But I also think that's something that should be, like, the key takeaway um, because it's like any everyone should view mm-hmm. life through that yeah. lens i think totally in their own way totally. like in their own different way and
1: it yeah it takes it takes accepting some difficult things um and persisting through through some some difficult experiences like it hasn't always gone well for me but i'm I'm just trying, I yeah, bet. I'm in therapy now, so that's been really helpful, <laughs> like, legit therapy. <laughs> that's yeah. wonderful. I, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone should also. Takeaways, to, like, get a therapist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truth. oh, that's amazing. Wow. Well, I'm very excited for everything that's to come for JRAT. I, I mean, I, I know that you are at selling some of your, your clothing at, Um, Cafe for God and a couple other places that are all kind of supporting the same I guess vibe with of creator like the same type of creator that that you are and I think that's amazing so if that's that's where you are now I can't imagine (laughs) where you're gonna go from here (laughs) it's
1: a great moment there's so many folks out there who are supporting this kind of work and creating space for it and and making this kind of work as well so it's cool to be a part of the uh, one-of-a-kind clothing maker community such a cool space that's
0: really growing and more people should be aware thank of thank you so hopefully that's i amazing. can help <laughs>
1: I, really, I appreciate your dedication and entrepreneurship to try to create a new means of communication for for folks like me yeah, well, that's <laughs> the least I can do. <laughs> but if
0: it helps, I'll be happy because, yeah, like I said, everyone thinks that at an individual level,
1: like, oh, like, what is that going to
0: matter? But it does. It does.
1: Totally. Changing yeah. your habits when totally. you can and staying committed to it again, despite like the difficulties, getting creative to work around those things. I think yeah it's only going to make the future better and the future possible for everyone
0: yeah that's so true
1: yay
0: <laughs> love it <laughs> okay well Janelle, you know this was so wonderful I'm so happy we got to talk and I mean you will have so much wisdom you don't even understand how much information I'm like now just spinning in my head I'm like oh my god <laughs> I have to go read books and learn more about other changes that I can make but um, this has been super super thank great you. and thank you, thank you so much for your time
1: me and for the work that you're doing
0: thanks so much Janelle for sharing your story and all of this knowledge with us um, if you want to learn even more you can follow Janelle at Janelle R Abbott on Instagram And please subscribe if you want updates for new episodes. And you can also follow me at danny.bao on Instagram. Thank you.